The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, Mid-South Gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Kenneth is out. He's in Florida having a great time. Two whole weeks I've been seeing the pictures of Kenneth in Florida, and I don't want to ever talk to him again. He was having a great time. I have Wesley Hopper with me from, um, Nat, he's a natural resource manager and city arborist in Germantown. Yeah, Germantown. And uh, you've just been around here forever. We call you the ghost whisperer. See, I knew I was going to say ghost whisperer, tree whisperer. <laughs> Good morning, Wes. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Man, I'm so excited to hear all your... Um, information on trees because you see it from a whole different way than we see it from being homeowners and um you probably take care have taken care of everything from homeowners to now big forests yeah it's been an interesting ride yeah um i think the first time well when i was looking for arborist everybody would say wesley hopper wesley hopper and then i started following you and um just there's so many things that you know about this that I can't even stop to think what questions I'm like I'm going to start with just a really easy question but you're so interesting you can just you could talk the whole way through here and I would just go "Uh uh-huh uh-huh it all started with my curiosity Mm -hmm. of of just being outside yeah and uh, I'll never forget when I started with the Davy Tree Company Mm. 39 years ago Wow. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> My boss said, Wes, I'm going to have to lay you off. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> and yeah. he, and when I asked him how, uh, how I could keep my job, he said to learn everything you could about trees. And so that was my mission. Mm-hmm. And that's what got me started. Wow. <laughs> that's him. Just he gave you a challenge and you were like, all righty then. I, I still accept those challenges. That's what makes you good. Is doing that. So I didn't know Davies has been around that long. I think they've been around since 1898. Oh, my goodness. Well, we have. I remember. Okay, so I'm from Memphis and we were raised out in Shelby Forest. So we're always running and playing in the trees. And my grandfather would take all that wonderful stuff. Then um, I went to Texas like Colleen, Texas, and was was saying, I don't know what I want to do, but I just know I want to work outside. So there was a garden center. They gave me a job. They got trees in in the fall to sell. And I said, why would anybody buy a tree? Because being in Shelby Forest, there was plenty of trees. And I'm going, nobody's going to buy a tree. It's so silly I thought that. But the tree industry is insane. Yeah. People buy trees. I mean, we like to give them away. Oh, that's true. You yeah. do. What kind do y'all give away? Germantown likes to give away dogwood trees. Uh, we have we have about I think it's about six hundred, seven hundred dogwood trees that we're going to be giving away on our upcoming Arbor Day this March. Okay, how did we find out about that? Just look on like the Germantown site, or yeah, the Germantown News. Oh, well, that would be easy. So dogwoods, tell us about how to grow a dogwood as a homeowner. There's a variety a variety of species of dogwood trees, and um, mostly dogwood trees are an understory tree. They like to be planted under the canopy of a larger tree, 
They're a forest tree, typically. Mm, okay. Yeah, so we want to— we the, wanna... the biggest mistake that people make planting a like a flowering dogwood, the Cornus Florida, uh-huh. is they plant it where they, it's going to look nice in the yard, but it catches too much sun. Yeah, I was going to ask. So these people that go, well, I'm going to plant it out in the middle of my yard. I hear that all the time. So no, don't just don't even. <laughs> well— I'm, I'm not going to say don't even. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like I said, there's different varieties of dogwood yeah. that you could plant. But the typical flowering dogwood, the white dogwood, uh, it needs it needs some shade. It needs some moderate shade. And then, of course, would, are those like more picky to drainage? Do we yeah, know? you need to be careful with the irrigation too. Oh, too that's where ir- we mess up. Yeah, too much irrigation and or not enough. Oh, okay. If they get uh, in a in a drought type of environment, mm-hmm. you know, like we Memphis area typically has each year, yeah, uh, then they'll be susceptible to the dogwood borers. Oh, see, we all everyone wants a dogwood. Everybody wants it, and so they'll try to plant them in a yard that a home that's just been built with no trees or anything because we want a dogwood so bad that would be a poor choice of tree to put in a new yard okay (laughs) what tree would you say um that you wouldn't like now we're going in the garden industry no bradford pears no bradford pears (laughs) we definitely say that oh my goodness i wish kenneth was here because he has that huge tulip poplar in front of his house humongous and his yard is the front yard is small but he's absolutely not going to cut it down because what it the benefits <laughs> tulip poplar is the largest growing tree in the state of tennessee is it i did not know <laughs> yes. that it is not a front yard tree uh, however it's a beautiful tree mm-hmm. uh, it's grown as a commodity Oh really? Yeah, the the poplar wood is makes great barn wood. You know, building. I didn't even think about the tulip poplar was the poplar wood. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's a commodity like mm-hmm. the pine tree. You know, they yeah. they plant it to harvest. Uh, you know, you go back to the days of the when the Lorax was written by Dr. Seuss. I yeah. mean, that's the whole reason that the Lorax is present in our industry is because mm-hmm. of the the over harvesting of timber. So. They begin to make it crops, so that would okay. be like the tulip poplar and the the forests that you see gro- driving through Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia. Mm-hmm. The pine trees, yeah, uh, they've learned to harvest it correctly. That yeah, we've done a lot of damage trying to learn how to do stuff. The so lor- true, <laughs> yeah. The Lorax, Doctor Seuss. I remember that. Was Laura was Lorax a character or is it a? I know. See, everybody calls you the Lor. Yeah, that's who I thought. Yeah, why do they call you the Lorax? Uh, just speaking for the trees. <laughs> oh, yeah, because yeah, I, I guess the trees I don't have no voice. Oh, that is so awesome. I love that. Um, yeah, because the trees have no voice, do they? No. No. If no. you sit and listen to the tree, I mean, I know this sounds silly, but it's mm-hmm. it, it is, it's it's not. So trees grow they're a living organism they grow mm-hmm. they suffer they they weathered the storms they they have to deal with the construction and loss of roots and yeah and they they want to survive 
and they struggle to survive sometimes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to just stop and, you know, quote, listen yeah. to the tree, and it'll tell you what's going on. You just have to interpret what's what science and that it's putting out there. Yeah, that's true. Because because in terms of they have no voice. They just can't say, don't build this around my roots, you know. Yeah. Uh, Stop it. And they're the big, one of the biggest things. Their roots are everywhere, all under us. And uh, listening to the the trees and all that, that makes sense to me. Yeah. And and coming from a a realistic standpoint, you know, we're going to build houses. We're going to build roads and Mm -hmm. put in new driveways and, and, clubhouses whatever yeah. it's going to be built around a tree because we we want to appreciate the shade and the gift that they give us mm-hmm. and so we have to approach it from a realistic point of view and take measurements to assure the fact that that tree that you're wanting to appreciate its shade and be under that you take care of it as well if it gives you a, a gift of shade and in mm-hmm. oxygen and everything else then let's give it a gift back Let's help nurture it and yeah. push it along. Yeah, because like it, managing a forest isn't just walking around looking up, going, "We need to prune this. Um, let's clear this out." You know, it's so in depth. It is. Yeah. Uh, we really don't have to manage a forest because it's going to manage itself. <laughs> True. But in an urban forest environment, then we have to manage. Uh, I'll use my yard for an example. I probably have 20 to 25 trees planted in my yard. And over the years that I've lived in my home, I've probably cut down just as many trees as I have mm-hmm. uh, living right now. And I've gone from large trees uh, to removing those. I've gone through experimental pruning with certain mm-hmm. trees that I had in my yard and uh, disease yeah. in my yard. and. I still have an urban forest. Oh, wow. Yeah. I I have a a tree that I have planted in my yard. I planted it for my grandchildren, Mm -hmm. and they've enjoyed it. Unfortunately, I have to cut the tree down. It attracts an insect that's indigenous to that particular tree, Mm -hmm. and I I just can't take it anymore. (laughs) They just multiply. It's the golden rain tree. In oh, every really? spring, it's just the most beautiful tree, mm-hmm. but it attracts the red-shouldered bug, and the red-shouldered bug really causes no harm to the tree, mm-hmm. but they feed on the sap of the tree, oh. and they their excretions land on our vehicles, yeah. and then they populate the interior of my garage. And I'm Wow. Just, yeah, you're just done with it. I'm, I'm, I'm over it. So, yeah, just done. <laughs> so I'm I'm going to remove this tree this winter, and I have a redbud that I had planted for a friend that an arborist mm-hmm. friend of mine that had passed away last year. I planted it in his honor, and I'm going to relocate that redbud tree and put it in the place of the golden rain tree in my yard. So it's a ever changing environment right. in my yard and. That's what I appreciate most about my trees. Yeah. I I have the rough leaf dogwood. I have a hedgerow of crab apples. I have a a large nuttle oak. Man, you've got a lot of varieties. We're going to go over some more varieties after we run to this break. And if y'all have uh, trees for Wes, or that would be questions for Wes, call us 260-5926. 
morning and welcome back. So Wes has the same issue with the mic as Kenneth has, so now I can't blame it's all Kenneth's fault. It's the mic. It's the mic. <laughs> it's the mic. Okay, so I was trying to quickly write down the trees that you've planted because what trees you planted is really what we could plant. Yeah. Uh, you said you had nut all. A nuttle oak, which they're now calling the Texas oak. Which really? Is, Why? Which is fine. I, I don't know. Research, you know, is is unique. You know, mm-hmm. so when they when they want to name a tree, let's mm-hmm. take for example the when we do an arboretum, mm-hmm. and the arboretum is when you have like a minimum of thirty trees labeled with the scientific name and the common name. Uh, there's trees like the cherry bark oak. Yeah, and we. We want to blame Michael Durr for that with the Durr manual, but we're not going to blame him for it. It's no. actual research, and Michael okay. Durr just puts the, the manual out there. So they've taken the cherry bark oak, and they've named it Quercus falcata variety pegadifolia, oh, and then they changed the name to Quercus pagoda, and then it went back to Quercus falcata variety pegadifolia, and now I think it's back to Quercus pagoda. Oh, my word. So. It's kind of confusing when it comes to the scientific names. So nettle oak, they they want to classify it as a common name to the Texas oak, which is fine with me. But yeah, I was just curious. I remember seeing the nettle the nettle oak. I don't know why I called nettle um, in Texas. Actually, mm-hmm. that's where it's for. And I forgot about the cherry bark. That's a beautiful tree, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah, it's a beautiful tree. Uh, it's a it's a nice timber wood. It, grows naturally in the forest and and in our area which you know the mid-south has always been known as the hardwood capital of the of the south and you know we've got yeah. the national hardwood lumber association right here in in shelby county which is the only one in the united states and they have a sister company mm-hmm. or operation in california i do believe wow i had no idea if, if you have not visited the national hardwood lumber association i would highly recommend it and set up a tour with a group of people so that you can walk through and see the different types of wood that they have in each individual room and they'll describe to you the the purpose of the wood and mm-hmm. what it's used for and the one of the most unique things about that one the most unique pieces of wood that they have there is the ash and i'm not going to tell you where that ash is located at Mm -hmm. but one day i was there with one of the 4-h forestry students that i was helping to mentor a few years back and Mm -hmm. maybe he's listening to the show and he'll remember this (laughs) occasion but we were asked what type of wood was this made out of and he takes out his little we're talking about a 15 year old Mm -hmm young adult i was going to say kid but he was a young adult and he takes out his little pocket microscope and he's looking at the vascular tissue of the wood and he says judging by the triangular shape of the parenchyma cells i would have to say this is a a type of tree i'm not going to tell you what it is because i don't want to give it away but but i was like give me that microscope (laughs) does it does it tell you in that microscope what Goodness, that yeah. is so. I wonder what he's doing now. Surely he's a some kind of tree. Oh, I, I rest assured he's <laughs> successful. Yeah. Wow. I hope you're listening out there. Um, so you've got. Let's see the trees that you had. One was a nettle. One was the cherry bark oak. What were some of the others you planted? The golden rain tree. Oh yeah. 
Uh, I like that one, and so that's I do too. insect issue. It's, uh, that brings up a really good point. So since it is a beautiful tree, it's an, it's an Asian tree. It's not what we would call a native tree, but that mm-hmm. that's okay. We're not going to just hammer on the non-natives <laughs> today. Okay. Uh, they, they, they do <laughs> offer their beauty. Yeah. And the golden rain tree is one of those that is that, that offers beauty. It has multiple colorations throughout the seasons. Mm-hmm. And it brings up the point of planting the right tree in the right place. If you want a golden rain tree, then don't plant it over where you're going to park your vehicles. Oh, okay. And that's the only reason that I'm taking this tree out. Oh, otherwise it's right there. it would stay because I love that, mm-hmm. that golden flowers that it, that it puts out. Yeah. So because, like you were saying, had insects love it hanging out on it, but it's not harming it. No, the only thing that that I have in that the only other predator that I have at my house, I have not oh. seen the birds feeding on these insects yeah apparently they're not tasty but the geckos the house geckos they love them they they feed on them so he's the geckos are just all hanging out in your garage then yeah i think they're <laughs> cute little things I but, do too. Yeah. <laughs> wow so it's just amazing how nate a gecko it's a you cycle. Think, yeah you it, i think i didn't ever think about geckos eating bugs that could be on trees yeah Wow, yeah. and I, mean, I, I pay attention to all of it. Even the the cat that was chasing my birds and squirrels yesterday morning, uh-huh. I, I did not like that. Yeah, boy, getting frisky. Yeah. <laughs> and hummingbirds, I can't believe I had a cat that got a hummingbird one time, and I'm like, how? <laughs> but I have. Well, that was like a number of years ago, and now I have noticed that they'll fly, they'll go lower yeah. to get food. So I guess that's how the cat got it. But at first, I was like, how'd they get that fast hummingbird, though? Yeah, well, the cats are fast. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do. I, I would not like to encounter a large cat in the woods. Right. Oh, the gosh, that reminds me. My, my dad would be, we had a cat, and he was like, that old cat just comes in beat up. You know, I don't know what. He's good for nothing cat. You know how dads can be. And then later he found out it was a bobcat. Our cat was fighting. <laughs> and dad was like, I like that old cat there. <laughs> yeah. When I was a boy, I had a cat, that an old tomcat that would tangle with a bobcat. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a mess. My oh. poor cat, he came home just... I don't know how you survived. Yeah, no. Some some cats are just bullies. What other trees do you have? Oh, you know what about? Um, I keep people ask about a tree called Pawania. Polonia. Polonia. Princess yeah. tree. It's a it's a it's a considered to be an, an invasive species. However, it's a treasured tree over in Asia. So if you have a forest. Of trees, which I've seen forests of polonia trees wow. here in the mid south. Really, I have, and uh, you could harvest that and ship it back to China, and you probably make a pretty good chunk of change. Huh. Enough to pay for shipping, probably a little shipping. bit more. Wow, um, is I'm, that the one that blooms purple? Though, am I thinking of the right thing? Okay, mm-hmm. wow, I've never, I've seen a few here and there. But a whole grove of them, that'd be beautiful. Acres. I've seen acres. No way. That's amazing. The yeah. things that are all out there in the woods that we have no clue. I was on a property in Bartlett, and I could barely walk through the forest. I was mm-hmm. doing a, uh, performing a tree inventory in Bartlett, Yeah, and I could barely walk through the forest. They were growing so tightly together. 
In Bartlett. In Bartlett. I'm just thinking all the times and places I drive around. You would never know it was there. Yeah. But it's right off of Highway 70 in Ellendale. Yeah. I literally, I've only been on two pieces of property where I Mm -hmm. could not walk through it comfortably. Yeah. Uh, one was in Germantown, and one was in in Bartlett, where the invasive species were so tight that it, the one in Germantown, I I was doing a wildlife inventory, mm-hmm. and I literally had to get on my knees and hands and crawl through there, and I just finally gave up. So is that something like that happens from getting the system off balance, and that allowed the invasive to take over? Yeah. Uh, for example. <coughs> Let's use Overton Park, for example, when we have all mm-hmm. these large uh, old old growth trees. Yeah. And when you have one of these large trees topple over from a storm, it just old age trees, then it opens up this entire area and the fastest growing plants are going to grow. So mm-hmm. uh, what was has been observed in there that you have kudzu or the the English ivy or the mm-hmm. the the euonymus it just takes off fast that's true yeah. and so that that has to be managed and mm-hmm. our good friend bill bullock is a volunteer at overton park and he's got a wonderful presentation on invasive species all right we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and talk more about trees and all if y'all have questions 260-5926 Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to the Mid-South Garden. Glad y'all could be here with us. I'm with uh, Wesley Hopper. He's the natural resource manager and city arborist of Germantown, but so much more to all of the Mid-South and farther, probably. And um, you are also known as the tree whisperer. (laughs) But that makes sense, though, because like you said, you, you listen to the trees and you out in the forest and of course when you're in there all the time you you can you can start feeling and understanding what's going on um there's there's so many things that i've heard and i'm wondering is this true or not i did hear one time where the canopy of trees they'll grow right up next to each other but they don't entangle with each other i was like i don't know i need to go out and look up some more the canopies, they, yeah, they may not. They have to move, they, yeah, and, and they have to let the sunlight come through. And so the oh. the, the trees, the trees will adjust. They'll adjust mm-hmm. to their environment. Yeah, and I've paid attention to that. Like I'm going to use my yard again because mm-hmm. I, I got a full canopy yard. Yeah, and uh, I can see where certain parts of. Um, let's take my tupelo tree, mm-hmm. my black gum. I have a, another plant planted next to it, and it's planted there for a reason. It's there f- for uh, like a screen, and the canopy of the tupelo tree like grows over that. Yeah, but not into it. Okay, okay. So it so yeah, it has no reason to grow into it. There's no mm-hmm. it. There's there's it, it doesn't function very well mm-hmm. when the canopy's intertwined. Well, that's see, that's kind of I think what people may be referring to as trees are intelligent and all because they seem to help each other out so much. 
that's a that's a very good way to put it. I've never mm-hmm. had to put an intellect to the tree, uh, <laughs> but it's a living organism. It knows what it wants. Yeah, it wants the sunlight. It wants the oxygen. It, it needs the uh, the nutrients. It needs the water. So it knows what it wants, and it knows how to respond to mm-hmm. too much of that and not enough of that. Yeah, I did a a program with the. Uh, called acts of nature it was really Mm -hmm. interesting with pbs and i was sitting on the ground or on a bench at shelby farms park and i was like take a look at that tree over there if you were to take that tree and cut off every bottom limb and just left it a little popcorn top Mm -hmm. at the top the tree is not going to like that and it's going to respond in a in a positive measure you created a negative measure by removing its branches and you Mm -hmm. caused it to be wounded and harmed and so it says i don't like this Mm -hmm. so it's going to take its epicormic growth it's the buds that that are on the the trunk of that tree that you can't see and it's going to force those out to create new foliage to to produce energy to heal Mm -hmm. all those wounds that you put on that tree and it's going to it's going to grow back yeah so so I have seen that where there's it almost looks like just a leaf's growing out of the side of the tree. Yeah. And so that pro, that means something's happened to stress it. That's it's, technically I call that in, uh, external stimuli. Okay. And and I can drive I can be driving down the road maybe not 60 maybe mm-hmm. not 30 but you know and i'm not going to say that i'm looking out my side window while i'm driving (laughs) but i can stop and look at a tree in an instant and tell you if it's stressed or not just from seeing some of that type Uh of growth that's coming out on it oh wow it's it's abnormal growth yeah yeah see how quickly you can see that like like for me what i'm going to see in the garden center is a plant wilting before it's wilting yeah you know and so you're seeing trees and you're seeing them stressed before you can see the act for us before we can see the actually issues yeah there's a tree at the memphis botanic garden it's right you if you've gone to visited the memphis botanic garden then you've walked past this tree and maybe mm-hmm. not have noticed but there's a tree at the entrance the at the main entrance there's there's three out there's uh, actually and they're old there's mm-hmm. they may be reaching their their in time they're getting close to it at least one of them is but the other one was scheduled for removal many years ago uh thank goodness it did not get removed but i did an educational uh pruning on that tree where the branches actually broke they were major contributors to the tree Mm -hmm. and they they just broke they got damaged in a storm at two different occasions and so those branches had to be removed so i took and did two types of pruning cuts for a large limb up against the trunk. I did a flush cut, which mm-hmm. is very old school. Yeah. Because there was a, an old timer who's no longer with us. He just, uh, but he was an old tree guy mm-hmm. in Memphis, and he swore up and down that the flush cut was the way to do the cuts when you make a big cut on an uh-huh. oak tree. And so we did that cut on the tree, and then we did a traditional forty-five angle cut mm-hmm. on the the, tr- the limb up, up above that one and then we measured the types of growth that that came on both wounds one well number one they're both healing okay good they're both mm-hmm. closing over but the flush cut is the 
the cellulose is breaking down. The wood is mm-hmm. breaking down, meaning that it's going to be a hollow spot there after that, that wound heals over. And the one above it is not hollowing out, but it's not closing as fast. And I mentioned that when a tree is stressed, it'll force that epicormic growth out, that dormant growth out. And we were removing that growth off those areas, but uh-huh. then I had asked the arborist if he could hold off on removing that growth until those wounds closed over because that that epicormic growth is there. You don't want it to be permanent growth, but it's producing energy mm-hmm. in that area of the tree for that wound to close over quicker. Man. There's so much to know. Yes, because in all the pruning books, it's like never flush cut, never flush cut, always 45 degrees and um, leave a little bit so it can start healing over. Yeah, technically you did go just outside the branch collar, but there's not Mm -hmm. always that branch collar there. Sometimes you have two co-dominant stems and and you don't have that branch collar. You just have two, basically two trees Mm -hmm. growing off into one. I got you. So how about this one? When we have stressed trees, lightning hits it, we fill it with concrete for the stability. (laughs) What would would we do in place of filling with concrete? Just let it be. Yeah. See, that's what I thought. Uh, Determine if there's a risk factor. Again, if it if it's a tree that concerns us and there's a home close by or a school or mm-hmm. parking lot, just consider uh, what type of risk that that tree is put in. So you, know, you would probably have to have somebody like you, an arborist, to actually come out and assess the risk properly. Yeah, and yeah. and don't be fooled by everybody. You'll you'll have some arborists out there that'll come out mm-hmm. immediately and say, "Well, you need to fertilize the tree. You need to spray it with this. You yeah. need to spray it with that. You know, keep the bugs out." Yeah, that's all true but Mm -hmm. with the lightning struck tree especially an oak tree uh you're gonna have to wait and see what how Uh that tree responds to that lightning strike yeah yeah see my my grandfather it was a lightning strike on one of the big trees out there and my grandfather goes i prayed and prayed trying to figure out what to do with this tree and he said leave it alone leave it alone yeah and it's still there yeah yeah Uh, i've I've seen pecan trees get struck by lightning and Mm -hmm. you can't even tell it got struck by lightning mm-hmm. oak trees they get struck by lightning they 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 pull up a lot of water and it just it it rocks their world it, it get yeah. it hits the tree and it causes the the growth rings to separate oh and that's what they call like a ring shake yeah huh. <laughs> and then you'll have the the mycelium from the fungi that will mm-hmm. start growing inside that and it starts breaking down the lignin and the cellulose oh my word did y'all know all that happened to the tree when it got hit by lightning oh my goodness what'd you call it ring shake yeah i love that so we probably have to get back to some little easier stuff. We're starting to get all technical. Sorry, I can't help it. <laughs> I know, because that's just how it goes. Except for we do talk about mycelium on the show a lot. So, you know, we're talking about how the soil feeds the plant, soil feeds the tree. Don't don't use things just to feed the tree. You know, a quick feed. Yeah, uh, you know, that, that that's a very good subject because years ago, this is what got me interested in the in the fungi that mm-hmm. grows naturally in the soil. I mean, when, yeah. we, when we see the the a, a, a fungus growing, that's the fruiting body of what's already there. Yeah, all it's doing oh, is yeah. reproducing. Uh, whether you're a forager, you're looking for mm-hmm. like hen of the woods or or chicken of the the woods or yeah, uh, 
uh, chantelles, whatever. That that's just a fruiting body that you're seeing. That did you just list off names of mushrooms? I did. Okay. <laughs> Making sure. I'm doing it again. Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> okay, I won't call it by its scientific name. I promise. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no. At least I got the mushroom part out of that. <laughs> Not because I eat mushrooms or anything. I just kind of thought that yeah. might be. <laughs> okay. Wait. Let's do this. Let's go to a break first. And then we're going to come back and talk more about all this wonderful stuff. This is so great. Thank you, Wes, for, for coming and being a guest on the show. And we'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. I was just showing Wes a picture of a... A tree, and it was showing the vascular system, and I'm thinking, there's just no way. You know, this can't be how it looks. It just all should be straight-lined. And and Wes is like, no, that's for real. I mean, it kind of looks like spaghetti. It looks like spaghetti. You know, that brings up a, a an, a, an opinion of, would you say this is supposed to be in a straight line? Yeah. We were planting some trees at Shelby Farms, and we were with the Wolf River Conservancy, and I think we planted like a thousand trees that day. Mm-hmm. But there was a, a lot of children out there, and this—I guess he was about eight or ten years old—and he's holding this sapling in in his hand, and he's like looking so confused. And he says, "How do I plant this?" And I turned and I looked at him, and I didn't really have a really good explanation, but I pointed over to the edge of the woods, and mm-hmm. I said, "You plant it like that." Yeah. And he says. Man ain't nothing straight in nature. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was awesome. Kids have the greatest sayings. Yeah. So it's like it's your picture there. When you think that the vascular tissue is going to be in a straight line, Mm -hmm. uh, it it doesn't always have to be. Yeah, that's just amazing. I I wish y'all could see that. I'll have to post it on Facebook. I, I use that for an example, and it's something that I do when I'm out doing a risk assessment on a tr- on an individual tree, not just a forest. But if you see a dead branch in your tree, mm-hmm. okay, if it's a substantial size dead branch, uh, let's say arm size and larger, okay, all right, trace that branch down the tree. See, you got to remember that trees are have a vascular structure just like our bodies do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the human body does it, it the veins go somewhere so you follow that dead branch down the tree follow it down closely down the trunk of the tree and see what section of the root system that it's connected to okay and that would help you uh, maybe determine if it's a actual root issue you may find some type of white rot type of fungi growing down there around mm-hmm. the base some ganoderma or some inanatus or something like yeah. that growing at the base or you may not but take a good close look sometimes you have to be the physician and and mm-hmm. just get down and do a bird's eye look at the base of the tree and you'll you may discover something that you wouldn't obviously see well that's true because we're not ever looking for anything and then we're used to seeing things and we just think yeah it's supposed to be there uh, one of the things that we get a lot of calls about are the mushrooms growing out of the trees like the mushroom shelves or, or at the bottom where it hits the ground, there's mushrooms growing. Does that mean the tree's dying or stressing maybe? Stressing. We live in an urban environment in the city, okay? And so trees have a limited root space or soil space that they get to grow in. So they have to adapt, mm-hmm. uh, take 
I'm, I'm going to just use some numbers for an oak tree since mm-hmm. the oak tree is usually our, our most dominant species that we have here. Uh, you plant an oak tree in the ground, and it'll start off with, say, 10 actual anchor roots that keep mm-hmm. it supported okay. in, in the ground. And off those anchor roots, and you get your lateral roots and your feeder roots and, and all that okay. business, okay? Yeah. And then as the tree grows, it starts being limited to its space. We have lawnmowers go, running mm-hmm. over it in the grass. We have children playing under it. We have a swing set put under it. And so we get a lot of soil compaction, yeah. uh, get some unfavorable conditions for that root system to be able to grow. Okay. Right? So as this tree begins to grow, it's mm-hmm. no different than our hair falling out as mm-hmm. we get older. You know, I got long hair. It goes down to my belt line. Yeah. Um, but it comes out every day. So as that tree is growing, it'll lose a root over a 10-year period. Over a 20-year period, it might lose mm-hmm. another one. Over a 50-year period, it might lose another one. Over a 80-year period, it's mm-hmm. lost a, a, a substantial amount of its root system, potentially. I'm not saying all cases. Yeah. But let's say it goes from 10 roots to 5 roots. So as that root, other roots that have not survived are remaining in the soil, what's going to break it down? It's the fungi that's in the soil. It's there naturally. So that... Now that's good fungus. It's good Fun- fungus. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a fungus hunter, a fungi... Mm-hmm. I'm a really fun guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I I'm, a, I'm a fungi hunter. <laughs> I, I go looking for it uh, because of the, 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 its effect on the environment. What, is, mm-hmm. what does that fungi do? What is, it, mm-hmm. what is its purpose? In a lot of cases, we you were talking about the bracket fungus the, the, or the Ganoderma that grows mm-hmm. around the base of the soil or that Inanatus or common name honey uh, fungus. Uh, it's breaking down the wood that's in, in the soil. It's turning it back into dirt. That's oh, what it's okay. doing. Yeah, because that's what fungus does. That's what it does. It breaks yeah. down the – you got your white rot that breaks down the glue, the lignin mm-hmm. that holds that wood together. You have your brown rot that breaks down the the cellulose, which is the actual wood. Yeah. And it returns it back to Mother Nature. Amazing. Amazing how this works out. Okay, here's the one we really, really got to ask. Pruning crepe murders. Murders. (laughs) Myrtles. It's called. What do we call that? Crepe murder. Yeah, crepe murder. murder. Pruning crepe murders. Okay, pruning crepe myrtles. Do we just chop them off? (laughs) You know, crepe myrtles are very resilient plant mm-hmm. they grow they grow great in the south uh, they grow mm-hmm. so good that they get over planted and they get overpopulated and yeah the, with the tree inventory in germantown the street median trees they make up the the largest percentage of species in the in the street medians if you mm-hmm. look in a landscape throughout the mid-south or this in the south yeah. period the crepe myr- myrtle is one of the most planted varieties of plants well sure enough i think it is you, yeah. and the, the there's they're beautiful trees mm-hmm. I, I really think they are uh they get planted too close to the house they get planted in areas to where uh, they look good but they grow larger than the space mm-hmm. that they're allowed to be planted in yeah so and then we cut them to make them fit they, they get cut to make them fit does does pruning those like that all the time does that stress it enough to allow it to have disease problems insect problems or are they just so hardy you can they're hardy mm-hmm. uh well i don't they're tough yeah uh they don't take the cold very well that's mm-hmm. why they grow you don't see them growing up north you see them growing yeah. down in the south 
they suffered a lot with the, these last two or three winters yeah. that we that we've had that were really rough on them uh caused the canopy to die back but they recovered uh-huh. well yeah they sure did you can cut them to the ground and they're going to grow right back from the the root system it's almost like you can't get rid of them but to improper pruning <laughs> the, the the strong heading back pruning yeah yeah or topping or however you want to word it mm-hmm. they'll respond but man Please don't do it. It's yeah. just a horrible look. It's it not is. like the European style of pilarding. Yeah. Because, you know, I spoke at UT Knoxville about the pilarding. They mm-hmm. wanted to know how we could stop the top tree topping in the Smokies. So that was a Facebook page to get started. So I mm-hmm. went with some other arborists to uh, UT Knoxville to speak on that topic. And we all spoke on the same thing. The European style of pruning to avoid deforestation within mm-hmm. their ancient cities and so they pollarded, P-O-L-L-A-R-D, look it up. And it was a way that they could prune trees without removing the entire tree. And that was a renewable source of lumber, firewood, whatever they needed to use mm-hmm. it for, making baskets. So I had a pecan tree in my backyard that I, if I'm going to walk the walk, if I'm going to talk the talk, I'm going to mm-hmm. walk the walk. Yeah. So I had a the pecan tree in my rear yard that I was doing that with, doing the pollarding, and I videotaped, I recorded the entire process over like an eight-year period. Wow. Finally, I learned that it's labor-intensive, and it was unnecessary. Uh, however, this tree that I had, my pecan tree, was located underneath the transformer, mm. and with utility pruning, it was creating the canopy to lean over my house unnecessarily so that was the reason for doing that i eventually removed the tree and that's yeah so you didn't have to keep dealing with it yeah point is uh heading back crepe myrtles is labor intensive and i don't recommend it thank you we'll be right back The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, Mid-South Gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Kenneth is in Florida. Well, actually, he's probably driving home now. And I have Wesley Hopper here with me. Uh, he's a natural resource manager and city arborist, um, tree whisperer, and Lorax. <laughs> Good morning, Wes. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here with us today. We had such great conversations, and um, we were talking about all the experiences that we get with the trees. I mean, you're not only getting the shade from the trees, we're getting so much nature. Like I was telling Wes that, when I moved into the apartment, the trees were like 10 feet tall. And since I'm on the third floor, I got to watch the trees grow up to the third floor. So now I'm just like in tree heaven. But the things that I got to watch from above the tree was so much different than what you look at below. And okay, there was one elm. There's an elm that's planted all in the apartments and it splits open when it rains hard or it snows hard. So I'm getting, this is painful. I'm getting to stand up there and watch all these trees break in the weather. That's probably the the Princeton variety of the uh, American elm. It's a cultivar Mm -hmm. that was was, uh, 
cultivated yeah. from the American elm to be resistant to the Dutch elm disease. Yeah, I remember the Princeton elm. Yeah, yeah maybe Unfortunately, it is. they have a weak branch attachments. Mm-hmm. Well, I know we never know until much later. And then, of course, the commercial industry pushes things. Oh, yeah. That's why we had the Bradford pear so abundant. Oh, because of the industry. Yeah. Trying to get something that the homeowner wants, I guess. Yeah. It's, you know, the Bradford pear is not an ugly tree. It's mm-hmm. not like it's a non productive tree. It's very productive. Yeah. It's, <laughs> if you rate it from an environmental standard and, and, and ignore the fact that it is an invasive species, it, mm-hmm. it's very functioning as far as preventing stormwater runoff, uh, producing oxygen. And uh, saving on uh-huh. electricity, it, it is a contributor in that yeah. as far as that goes. But it's such a prolific grower that there's mm-hmm. not a, any biological control to manage the, its population. I gotcha. So we may as well not do that either. Um, now, what about um, what was I going to say? Not oh, the fertilization. There was always some people just use like the urea, the triple thirteen, and and getting their lawn just as green as and can be. What what does that do to a tree? Uh, Anything? Yeah, well, the, you know, nitrogen helps the the foliage be green. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what it does. It's gonna it's gonna create green foliage. Or uh, my opinion. On, as far as nitrogen fertilizers go on trees, if, if it needs it, fine, give it to it. Uh, the soil injections for trees, which mm-hmm. it's the other benefits other than putting the fertilizer into the tree is like creating air space and nutrient space to for other things to grow in there to create mm-hmm. an aerobic soil. Gotcha. That's, that would be the whole main purpose for deep root fertilization. Yeah, how do you do deep root fertilization? It's a pressurized method that you, you, if you have a, a professional mm-hmm. that has purchased this rig, it's it's a spray tank, and it's you can crank the pressure up to 150 to 200 uh, psi pounds mm-hmm. per square inch, and you inject that water nutrient with a fertilizer directly into the soil, anywhere from four to 12 inches deep. 12 inches is going to be maximum. But it expands that soil and creates that soil space where your roots can find another favorable area to grow deeper into the yeah. soil where they're not growing on top of the surface. I got Yeah. So we're always saying that sometimes if you water lightly, your tree roots want to stay at the top. And if you water deeply, that they'll go deeper. But it sounds more of a soil Issue. Yes, and and you mentioned the triple thirteen and the urea types fertilizer for your lawn. Mm-hmm. You're you're creating a lazy root system for your trees. Oh, okay. So you're you're that that those types of fertilizers they're generally held that nitrogen is held together with the salt. Mm-hmm. So it break, it's going to break down like over a six month period and dissipate into the soil. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it could be overused and you can burn up the root system. And right. Somebody that applies it should know that, but. Uh, you're still promoting that root growth to, of your trees to be closer to the surface. And as that tree gets larger, it's it's going to be more susceptible to wind throw. Yeah. I mean, not in all cases, but... More susceptible to what? Wind throw. To, oh. You know, the wind can push against it and blow it over. Ah. See, that's what I was wondering, if that had a difference. If all these trees that are... Uh, Fell well. Fell is when you cut them down, but all the trees that have fallen from the, yeah. the wind. Am I saying that right? Yeah, I was 
F A I L is, is the way I was using the word fell. I mean, you can F E L L, you can fell the tree or you can fell. Ah, okay. I got you. Two different spellings and one sound. Gosh, English language, huh? <laughs> but so, yeah, when the trees fall with the storms and all, I have often wondered was it because we watered too much? Was it because we've damaged the root system by us being under it so much? Was it too much nitrogen? Was, you know, but I guess. It's all of the above. I mean, mm-hmm. I live underneath my tree. I mean, I've, I've got compacted soil in spaces. If I don't take a drill to it, I mean, I, I've mm-hmm. got different methods. I use the the, the uh, raw steep root water. It's a, it's a very inexpensive way of getting the water down deep when it's yeah. a drought. You can get it at the Dan West Lawn and Garden. It's mm-hmm. where I got mine. It's yeah. like $40, and you hook it to your hose, and, and you can get that water down deep during the times of drought, and it also creates the the air water nutrient space or you can take a i got an old wood bit 18 inches mm-hmm. long that i can hook it to my cordless drill and yeah. drill down and loosen up that soil there's different ways oh, okay. of doing that now i never would have thought about doing that so in drought times like this summer yes yeah did you what did you did you have to do that this summer it was another experiment for me i wanted mm-hmm. to see how many dead branches i could get from my nut alone. yeah that makes sense and see how it responded <laughs> i mean i planted my tree back in 1996 when uh-huh. it was as tall as i am like just under six foot and now it's 30 inches in diameter and about 65 foot tall good grief so so um the uh oh now i'm losing my attention I don't remember what I was going to say about that. You know, that tension span happens sometimes. So that's why I have notes. <laughs> Ta-da! How about, okay, we're fertilizing trees. Yeah, when do we prune? Like when fall hits right now, we're wanting, everybody's wanting to go out and prune. But can we, or is there certain sure. kinds? I mean, you can prune any time of year that you want to, but whether or not you're doing the tree any justice is another. Yeah, that one, that question. <laughs> yeah. When do we do, when is it bad for us to prune? You know, when COVID hit, excuse me. Yeah, that COVID messes everything up. So when COVID came into the, the mixture, people started working from home. Mm-hmm. And it was the uh, time of the year when, when things were growing. And so they're looking up more. They're seeing things that they could do at home. And so every contractor that worked outside was very busy. <laughs> yeah. And like, that would include your tree companies, your landscape companies, your fence builders. And they got busy. And so referring to the tree services, the tree services were pruning trees the wrong time of year. Yeah. And so that's a... Uh, that, that is the incorrect time of year to prune is during the growing season. Textbook mm-hmm. says cold. When's the best time to prune? Uh-huh. When it's cold. Yeah. When the trees aren't producing energy from the foliage that's on the tree. With a deciduous tree, mm-hmm. let that foliage do its job. Let it produce the photosynthesis. And give that tree all the energy that it can. When the wintertime comes along, then you do your pruning. Gotcha. Your necessary pruning. And that brings me wow. to another subject. Understand the type of tree that you have in your yard because you can't treat every tree the same. All right. Well, let's go to a break, and then we're going to talk about um, treating that we can't treat every tree the same. And we'll be right back, but you can call with questions, 260-5926. <laughs>
Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. I'm here with Wesley Hopper, National Resource Manager and City Arborist, uh, Germantown. And we were talking about pruning because that's what I always want to know. Can I prune now? Something about the sap flow. If we cut now, it can cause this problem. And then there's two words that you said, which I wouldn't even think of the difference of necessary pruning and aesthetic pruning. Yes. Yeah. And so... Yeah, tell us about when we can prune. Okay, again, uh, wintertime is the best time to prune, but you had mentioned necessary pruning and mm-hmm. aesthetic pruning. Yeah. Aesthetic pruning would be something that, it'll. I believe during our break, I mentioned that if you take a painting and you paint a tree and, it, and it's a piece of art, mm-hmm. and with a tree, a tree is a living organism, you got to prune it for what's necessary. You know, what's necessary to keep this tree healthy keep it safe for you, you know, mm-hmm. in your in its environment. Uh, that's necessary type of pruning. But understanding the species of tree that you have yeah. in your yard can dictate the type of pruning that you could do to it. So like, so there's different pruning methods for an oak tree versus a dogwood versus a Japanese maple. Correct. Dogwood tree, you only want to take out what's necessary. You don't thin the dogwood you just Mm -hmm. take out what's necessary which is usually uh, a branch that might be in the way of the walkway or dead wood okay so i was going to wonder what's necessary what's necessary yeah my nuttle oak that i have in my yard a nuttle oak or texas oak is a tree that you do not have to thin it thins Mm -hmm. its own self so generally you keep the canopy in check like included bark and things like that Mm -hmm. and remove the dead wood Okay. And then uh, uh, the Japanese maples. Japanese maples. I love to prune those. During the break, I was telling you about when I got a phone call to go take a look at this Japanese maple that was dying. Yeah. The question was, why is it dying? Well, let's get up inside of it and look. He says, why do we got to get up inside of it? Because we got to see what's inside the tree. And Mm -hmm. he was looking at it from the outer part of the tree on how to get up in there. But we got inside the canopy of this large Japanese maple. It was a, probably a 50, 60-year-old tree. And there was an extreme amount of dead in this tree. So we traced it back to a portion of the root system that had died. Why it died, I don't know. But mm-hmm. this portion of that root system had died. So we removed the dead limbs that were, that were in the tree. And... The tree's fine. Yeah. The tree's fine. No, it's not necessary to fertilize the tree. Mm-hmm. It was getting plenty. It had irrigation in the yard. So yeah. everything else was fine about the tree, but that one section of the root system had died. In, in. So does it replenish that section eventually? If it's a healthy tree, it can compartmentalize and create new tissue. Uh-huh. Again, like a... Uh, mentioned earlier the it's a living organism so it, it has to reproduce and so like on our bodies if we cut ourselves with a pocket knife or mm-hmm. we walk through a briar patch and it gets cut we have the the cells in our body that would divide and create new cell tissue and closes up our wounds the trees respond the exact the exact same way Gosh, yeah. we're so connected. We are connected. <laughs> it's so good. It's so amazing. Yeah, it sounds like you're like in the tree tracing electrical cord down to its its plug-in. If, I never would have thought of going to the dead and then tracing it down. No matter how big or how small, 
uh, that this tree is, you can you can trace it back to something mm-hmm. if you if you look close enough. Is it mostly root related? Er, sometimes, usually, mm-hmm. I would say usually, but yeah. sometimes it's it could be something else too. You can right. have bacterial problems. You can have in fungal problems, mm-hmm. uh, insect problems. There's there's usually a, a blunt cause though. Yeah. Yeah, like we get one of our biggest questions that we will get is the slime flux mold. If we're saying that right, that's 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 the only one because people notice that immediately growing off of a tree or sap, like, like the alcoholic flux. Yeah, if it smells bad like that, yeah, that's yeah. like a yeast infection. It's uh, it's, yeah. it's some yucky stuff. It's bizarre. It is bizarre. So we would say, I would say, oh well, clean it off, clean it up, look around, see if there's anything bizarre in the tree, and then I would say fertilize it to make it healthier with organic or compost. But what? Really, here's my experience with alcoholic flux. Uh, it's it's oozing out from a from the bark of the tree mm-hmm. un, unusually. Yeah, I uh, see it on elms, elms, white oak, sugar maple, primarily those uh-huh. trees I've seen it mostly on, and I've bark traced those areas. So if it's really really fluxing bad, mm-hmm. I'll take and bark trace it. I'll cut that back to some greener tissue. Which you're opening it up to that for that bacteria to continue to spread, but I cleanse it with water first, mm-hmm. wash it off real good, and then I scrub it with some bleach mixture, you know, fifty fifty possibly, mm-hmm. and sometimes if it's real bad, I'll, I'll go full strength, and I'll keep it scrubbed to kill that bacteria that's growing right there, and I may have to come back and do that two or three more times, but yeah. I've. In the past, I've been successful with doing that, and then the tree reproduces with the new tissue. Oh, okay. So you're you're just cleaning all the like on a wound, just cleaning just it cleaning really it. good. What about hydrogen peroxide? Is that a thing? Uh, I've tried hydrogen peroxide, but the mm-hmm. bleach has been the, the best mixture for me. I would think so. And on top of that, once you get that wound cleaned and the and the alcoholic flux has been put at bay mm-hmm. then take and smear vaseline over the open wound on yeah. that open tissue to prevent the insects from from uh making a home there and keep it from drying out much better than pruning paint isn't it much better than pruning <laughs> paint it's a, I, that's not my idea i learned this from a friend of mine in north carolina uh-huh. uh, guy mueller uh he's with a historic tree preservation and it's mm-hmm. a wonderful wonderful method it's cheap yeah you can take the vaseline like a, let's say you you have a a lawnmower wound or something at the mm-hmm. base of your dogwood tree use yeah. this for an example yeah uh, you can take and put that vaseline on that open wound if it's mm-hmm. a fresh wound and then wrap that with cellophane and you'll okay. increase the chances of it creating new tissue and closing over oh so you could like a weed eater damage you yes. could possibly heal it from that instead yeah. of just letting it yeah, Vaseline is a petroleum product. It's it's going to keep the bugs out, and mm-hmm. it's going to keep <laughs> it's going to keep That's it moist. <laughs> wow, that is I love that. I love that. Uh, now there was this, and it made sense to me, but um, I had learned it from the do- dirt doctor in Texas. He's all organic and all of that, but he would sell. And we had sold it for a while. It was a paste, and you can mix it yourself. That was soft rock phosphate manure soft rock phosphate manure and diatomaceous earth 
and he would rub it on the wounds and supposedly the uh, diatomaceous earth would help with the insects the manure would help feed the um, outside of the tree or the cambium layer i don't know if it has a an open area where it could absorb whatever is there Mm -hmm. sure i could see that working okay that's good because if (laughs) some people when i would recommend that they would think (laughs) wow what did she just say but also i found it very very like when we would prune crepe myrtles like clean them up on the inside and one time we made a bad prune and I mean, a limb we shouldn't have. And sometimes homeowners aren't going to notice that. But I told them if we take some some dirt and some mud and rub it really good over that prune cut, she'll never notice that it was pruned. And it worked. So, But I never would have thought of that if I hadn't have learned the tree pace. The tree goop is what it's called. Yeah, yeah I've done that before, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like, yeah oh. I've made some bad cuts and taken string and in a boxwood and yes. pulled it together yes to, i mean it's, <laughs> tied it, it all up in the side yeah you know i heard this from an older guy and he's somebody asked him how he got so good at what he was doing uh-huh i don't I, he wasn't even a tree guy but he yeah. said how in the world did you get so good at what you do and he says i've made a whole lot of mistakes right. <laughs> that is true though unfortunately that's how we learn now okay my cousin she emailed me a picture and I said, okay, I'm going to ask Wesley because he's going to know. All right, the picture is, and you've seen this a million times, I'm sure, where uh, there's a tree growing next to the driveway, and the root has grown under the driveway and then buckled the driveway. And it was a good buckle. It's not anything you could just kind of drive over or ignore. And the two questions were, how do you fix that for, for sure? And which then led me to another question was, how much of a tree root system can you take off without damaging it to where it dies within small amount of time that's a very good question if it were my tree that was growing underneath my driveway and causing it to buckle i'm cutting that root yeah that's what i'm thinking uh-huh. but i didn't want to say that yeah i'm going to i'm going to do some root pruning and i'm not going to do it to the point where i'm going to kill my tree because i love mm-hmm. my tree yeah but i gotta protect my home too right right so if I tell you, I've been in places where, like for example, the driveway had to be replaced for mm-hmm. this. What, the, from what you just mentioned in your case with that picture, where the oak trees are like less than a foot away from the driveway, there was a, mm-hmm. a whole row of these oak trees, and every one of these, the roots got cut up to the trunk of the tree. Ooh, wow! So you would have thought that would have killed the tree, but in this case, we took proactive measures mm-hmm. and. Uh, with another arborist, Dr. Mark Follis, yeah, come out with me, and he did some injections, some micro injections with a growth regulator, uh-huh. and then followed up with a fertilizer. The growth regulator would slow down the canopy growth, mm-hmm. and then encourage the roots to grow. Wow! The trees are still there. Wow! So. See, that's such a thought. I mean, that's so in-depth where you used the growth regulator also, which makes sense. So if the canopy slows down, it's not going to be needing that root at the moment. Correct. (laughs) Gotcha. Okay, we're going to go to a break. 260-5926.
morning, Mid-South Gardeners, and welcome back. I have Wesley Hopper here with us, the ghost whisperer. I did it again. The tree whisperer. I guess you can tell I watched the show Ghost Whisperer. I talked to ghosts, too. Yeah. I mean, so you can kind of be both. A ghost will tell you what to do about that tree. Um, so let's see, where did we leave off? Because I thought I always do that. I'm like, okay, when we come back, we're going to talk about, and then we come back and I don't talk about it. Let's see what, oh my gosh, how can I not talk about the uh, mulch volcano where we mulch so much? The volcano mulch? Yeah. Yes. It's, <laughs> it's, you know, if you look at it from a distance, it, it does look pretty cool. I right. Mean, you gotta, <laughs> gotta admit that. Yeah, it, it does look cool, you know, but that's about as far as it goes right there. Mm-hmm. It's not healthy for the tree or the plants. You'll end up causing root interface, which means, I think I said it earlier, that roots mm-hmm. are lazy. They're going to grow mm-hmm. where the, the environment is favorable. So when you volcano mulch, let's Use a red maple, for example, mm-hmm. in the landscape. It's small. It's it's planted in an area where maybe it's sitting up high, and you put the mulch around it, and it looks good. It looks, it looks pretty, but those roots stay in that one area where the mulch holds the moisture and the heat and, and everything that's the, what mulch is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And so you'll cause those roots to grow in a circle and to the surface of the soil, or mulch in this case, and if the roots start to grow in a circle, they will girdle the base of the tree, oh. causing a, potentially causing that tree to die in those sections. It's mm-hmm. like putting a tourniquet around the, the base of the yeah. tree and cutting off the, the vascular flow. Oh, so that's interesting that the roots will grow in circles under the mulch because it's easy to grow. Yes. And that's the whole thing. They'll choke themselves out. Um so I one time there was a big, tr- a larger tree that had soil because, you know, it looks like a telephone pole coming out of the ground. No root flare at all. And so we started pulling all the soil off of the tree to expose the root flare. And as doing that, there were roots above the root flare. Yes. And that made me nervous tearing those. But yes, uh, I wouldn't be afraid of that. Mm-hmm. I I had gotten a call from some landscapers about the trees at, at Tiger Alley at, 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 with the yeah. Liberty Bowl. Yeah. All those overcup oaks that they had planted in the parking lot. Yes, yes. Where they did the volcano mulching and it was over mulched for years and years and years. And mm-hmm. so I went out there with a garden rake and a shovel and I pulled all the mulch back just on the, as a sample of uh-huh. what they could do yeah. to improve the health of those trees. And I pulled back all the mulch away from the base of the tree and I started pruning the roots mm-hmm. and another arborist was there with me he's like aren't you afraid of doing that I said no mm-hmm. I said we have two options here either to to correct the, the the what has happened here or let it be and there's a lot of investment that we have right here in, with these trees along this yeah parking yeah lot. true so yeah the trees that's are true. fine after I got through doing that that the tree actually breathed a little yeah. easier. Yeah, oh, you could almost hear it and feel it when yeah, you get it just that mulch off. I know that's what I feel like. Yeah, when um, so yeah, because I guess really you're just damaging these little roots that are trying to accommodate the situation, 
but really the whole thing is all those roots underground that were so if we do cut some of those little ones we're okay yeah yeah i didn't i didn't want to go totally crazy with it and i'm not encouraging people to get in and start cutting the roots but Mm -hmm. in this particular case yeah i didn't do all the trees like this i was sampling Mm -hmm. and the sample turned out to be a success yeah i saw a picture of um where there was a nice big oak tree and they just they were building on the property and so somehow they they raised the soil level like okay the guy was standing in the hole like 15 feet up to the tree because the picture was where they kept digging and digging and digging trying to find the root flare and they had put that much soil around the tree because the man was standing in the hole and we're looking and the picture showing looking down at it but the tree made it. I, it looked like they had caught it, you know, before. Wow. But that's – who would think you could, like, pile soil 10 feet up on a tree? I, I have no words. I know. There was no <laughs> words. Well, see, I think – I remember one time talking to a home builder that I asked, why Why does the trees come down when y'all clear lots? Why do y'all take the trees down? And he said, well, it starts becoming a liability. You build around the tree, the tree falls, and they end up bringing it all the way back to the people who cultivated the land to put the house there. Yeah, I, I'm writing an article right now for a newsletter, and in that article, it, I'm explaining on a development that we worked on. Mm-hmm. Uh, early on, my article is on tree inventory and yeah. the purpose and the reasoning for performing a tree inventory. Yeah. And this one subdivision or development that was going up, we tried to save the trees in the front yard and the backyard. And what was happening is all the trees that we were trying to save in the front yard were taking such abuse from utility installation, mm-hmm. uh, the heavy equipment that was going up, the trees were dying. Uh-huh. And that was not a success. Mm. Um so we talked to the developer and asked him if he could just go ahead and remove all the trees in the front yard, but let's leave the ones in the backyard. Uh, to, we wanted oh. to retain a certain amount of density, a tree mm-hmm. density in that subdivision. And, and when after the homes were built, let's plant two trees in the front yard. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was a success. Gotcha. Uh, we were able to remove the existing trees during the development, and uh, the houses went up. It's mm-hmm. a beautiful subdivision, and we even managed to retain an area for natural area within that subdivision. So it's still a, a forested area, yeah, a forested subdivision, and uh, it's it's very nice. Okay, so I would say if somebody's building on property with trees, they should really call an arborist to help make a decision. Arborist or forester or forester. Uh, yeah. Okay. It's a. We have to consider trees to be a, a renewable resource. So uh, with that being said, if we have to remove trees, you know, the cities are growing. The developments mm-hmm. are going to happen. We're not going to stop that. Yeah. But if we have to remove trees for that purpose, then we have to also replant. It may not mm-hmm. be in that same area, uh, but we have to continue to plant trees in order to re- retain the canopy covers that we require to have a sustainable environment. Oh, yeah. Um, that was making me think the canopy cover. Like in water gardens, you have to have a certain amount of um, water coverage to keep the sun from causing the algae and everything. Yes. So I guess the same with the tree canopy to have the right coverage to create 
the whole ecosystem on a tree. Yes. Uh, that's why we put plant trees in parking lots. I've heard lots of comments. And, man, that tree's not going to survive yeah. there. Well, there's a life expectancy of everything. So would you plant a tree in a parking lot to try to stop that heat island effect? Mm-hmm. Sure, that tree's lifespan is going to be shorter than a tree planted in the forest, but we still have a tree there. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too. Because some people get all technical with that, and I'm going, but we have a tree. But we have a tree. And and, and we can replant. And so that goes even further with the planning division of within a city when there's a design for a parking lot or something there's mm-hmm. a plan that was approved by the city and if that develop if that parking lot or that shopping center loses two or three trees over a time period they should be required to replant a tree back in its place Amen. because that's the plan <laughs> yeah and yeah. If, if if i'm going to be a voice for anything today it's to say to keep these parking lots planted yeah if anybody has any control of that mm-hmm. then speak up if right. you see a tree missing right there, uh, let's try to get another tree put back in that place. Man, you could even be a person that would just donate the money and have somebody plant the tree. Why not? Do it. Yeah, yeah, why not? So, yeah, because our t- is you ever, when you go shopping or whatever, drive around finding where that one tree is to park under it? See? I do. Yeah, me too. And I pay attention to that. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm strategically looking for that one shady spot for the tree now here's another question a homeowner question would be um the english ivy we love it growing up in the trees but then i hear well if it's on the tree it keeps the moisture there too long and insects can grow under it and then i hear well no it just causes a balance and so what what should we do about the english ivy take it off yeah, uh, I do not like English ivy. It's right. pretty. I mean, it is a pretty vine. Mm-hmm. It's invasive. And when I was running my tree service, which I did for twenty six years, if I, there was a if there were a, a lot of the ivy growing on the trees, mm-hmm. I would turn that job down because yeah. I can't see behind it. There's usually bees behind there. There's uh-huh. bats. There's snakes. There's, wow. <laughs> there might be a huge hole behind yeah. that, that ivy that I can't see. Uh, I've experienced that uh-huh. when I climbed the tree and then back behind that ivy that was on there, the tree had a huge hole in it. It was a full-grown tree. Mm-hmm. I climbed down and refused to do the tree, and the lady – the, the, the homeowner fired me yeah, because she didn't think that I knew what I was talking right. about. But two <laughs> weeks later, I get a phone call from the landscaper on that, that property and told me that that tree had fallen. Wow. And crushed a brand new car. Oh, my gosh. Still had to drive out stickers on the window. Oh, no. Painful. Okay, we're going to go to another break. And we've got Jamie, the master gardener. We'll get him after the break. We'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You know, we couldn't go a Saturday without Jamie, the Master Gardener, calling in. Good morning, Jamie. Thanks for the call. Good morning. How are you doing? How are you and Jan? I got to compliment you on your guest. He is a very knowledgeable man. If anybody's ever got to hear one of his presentations, he does quite a good job with them. Yeah, thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Jamie. Yeah, thanks for calling and letting us know that. Are y'all still in Florida or are you back? Uh, we're back. I wanted to tell you one other thing, too, that I talked to Jim Crowder's son yesterday, and he said things are progressing pretty well, that, uh, you know, the 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 
tumor has sunk significantly, but there's still work to be done. So there's still frying in there, but I hope uh, hope everything's going to work out well. Well, thank you, Jamie. Thanks for the update. So, um, yes. yeah. Y'all hey. be safe. All right, Jamie. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Thank Have you. a good day. Thank you, Jamie. Yeah, see? Jim Crowder and I go way back. I, I bought my very first house from him. Oh, what he sold houses <laughs> no well, it's the house he was living in oh, okay and on Faxon avenue and, yeah and there were probably a hundred different species of iris growing in yeah. that backyard and so many japanese maples and, and wow that's jim all right yeah it was it was really cool some of the irises i'll probably never see again yeah you're right about that i wonder if he t- hey i'm sure he had to take some with him because his house now wow you know there's one of everything so it's really interesting to hear all of um, the plants that he grows that because he likes to do like like a lot of us gardeners, we're going to get something that's hard to grow and see if we can grow it. Right. And then to, and then do you ever find this? It's like this does not grow here, but it does in this person's yard for some weird reason. Yeah, we have some rhododendrons growing in one of our at, at Oaklawn Gardens in Germantown mm-hmm. and uh Harry Cloys that planted them there was told that they would never survive, and they've been there for decades. I don't get that. I don't either. Yeah, for it to actually live that long, and they're huge, aren't they? They're huge. And there's nowhere else in Memphis they're like that. That's the only place I've ever seen them. I know. It's like, have you ever done soil samples? Have you looked? I mean, what's the secret? Or are we by chance, is he by chance have a bunch of rock under there? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but, you know, your soil samples brings up a good topic, too. Mm-hmm. You know, knowing what type of soils that you have growing in your area is going to dictate what's going to grow there, too. Oh, yeah, because we have a bunch of different soil, actually. We do. Uh, I was in Lucius Birch, and I'm not the one that determined this, but mm-hmm. I was hiking through the Lucius Birch on the Blue Trail, and if anybody knows Lucius Birch, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, as I'm walking, uh, I actually took a reporter out there, uh, and we were doing a magazine article, and I was explaining to this reporter the different uh, levels of force material that we're walking through. So we start mm-hmm. at the beginning of the trail off of Germantown Road, and as we're going in, we have a certain type of tree species that's growing in this area. It's a little bit lower, closer to the Wolf River, and then as we're going in, we cross mm-hmm. the levee. We enter another type of forest. It's a little larger. We got shoebard and water oak and cypress trees growing mm-hmm. in this area. And we also have a lot of privet that's growing in that area, a lot of privet. And as we continue to walk, we reach an area that on one side of the trail, it's just like a wall of privet and other mixed hardwood. And on the north side of the trail, the northwest side of the trail, there's no privet. And it's just a beautiful forest of mixed hardwood hickory oak um some elm but it's just a mix good mixture of Mm -hmm. good hardwood forest and when i inquired with one of my friends with the wolf river conservancy about why is this different on this side of the trail and different on that it looks like this would all be connected yeah and uh he said they did a soil sample in that area and it's a type of soil that's in that part of the forest that isn't on the other part of the forest How does that happen? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you're if you're into forestry 
and if you walk through the forest and i learned this by going with some other professors and you know through the forest and they were pointing out different types of grasses that were growing on the forest floor Mm -hmm. and he says this grass only grows in this george soil like g-e-o-r-g-e named after a guy named george i guess (laughs) and then we had other parts of that forest that he called it hairy soil like hairy yeah okay named after a person (laughs) but there's it gets more scientific than that yeah i'm not going to get into all that because i can't pronounce the words (laughs) what but it's the types of soil that's going to dictate what grows in that area so So we have a salad bowl soil even in the forest there's different soils so yeah okay like i heard lichterman has the privet pool because there's the privet will just what choke out kill forests yes it it can do that it's like with any invasive species it can grow where it has no biological control Mm -hmm. and choke out what grows naturally there and also produce other chemicals within its root system like tannins or allopathic properties and will prohibit the growth of other plant material oh so the the tannins they can be like transferred through the root system that connects with another root system and then they pass it all yeah it may not necessarily be the tannins that's just oh uh, one of the hormones that i just generally threw in there oh, okay it, gotcha. it's more like oh tannins as a hormone i did not know that yeah it's, yeah it's it's kind of like what prevents other you know like the the roaming grazing types animals yeah it's, it's oh. just a, a plant's protective mechanism oh okay you know what we got to go to dwight real quick before it's time to go to break good morning dwight thanks for the call what's your question today good morning uh, it really doesn't apply right now because it's cool most all the time. But the idea, the the fact rather that you shouldn't spray when it's going to be ninety or over. So now let's say sometime, and, and again that's for the summer. But let's say some morning, okay, it's like eighty degrees. I know it's going to get to ninety. Can I spray when it's eighty degrees, even though it's going to get ninety, ninety-five later? For uh, for weed uh, control in the lawn, I think you'd be fine with the weed control. It's, it's, and it depends on what you're spraying. Uh, the with looking at like like the trees or shrubbery. It's, I'm talking about lawn with the lawn. I think you're good with the lawn. Yeah, because like if uh, yeah that that was something I always wondered too. If you're spraying. Because they say not to spray over 90. Well, if it's in the morning right. and it's like 80 and you spray, it'll have its time to work down into the uh, plant okay. and all. And then when we hit 90, it'll just work faster. Yeah. Okay. All right. And another thing about a tree. Uh, when uh, I lived, uh, when I, we bought first bought where I'm at, there was a bean field as far as you could, almost as far as you could see. And uh, so they have developed it in the meantime. And when they came through, uh, I have a tree, a sweet gum, that they had to go around. They had to, they zigzagged uh, to, uh, instead of putting a fence that would, you know, run into the tree on both sides, they just zigzagged. So actually, it's, uh, the tree is in my backyard, but not, but not legally because the actual you know the property line goes straight through the tree what would you do with a situation like that if uh uh would it be a you know uh crass or whatever to ask someone my backyard neighbor to 
say, uh, why don't we do something about this tree? And Do you want the tree on. removed? or? I think we might. Uh, it's, it's getting uh, it's okay. pretty ragged. <laughs> okay, so in a case like that, <clears throat> the, the tree belongs to both you and your neighbor. So <laughs> if you both agree that the tree has to be taken out, then no matter who pays for it, just get written permission from him and... Written permission. Written permission. Yeah. Yeah, because if it's on the borderline tree, then that's what you call it. It's a borderline tree. It belongs to the property owners. All right. Well, now it's over. Sorry about that. We got to go. But yeah, written permission is a very good idea. Yeah. Thank you, Wesley, for being here. We'll have you back again, and we will see you all next weekend in the Mid-South Garden. Thank you.